uh, a husband and wife have a fight, and the wife calls her mom and says, Mom, he fought with me again. I'm coming to live with you. The mom responds, No, darling, he has to pay for his mistakes. I'm coming to live with you. That's one remedy for fighting I've never thought of. And I don't know about you, but that would get me to stop fighting real fast. Probably you would feel the same. But did you notice this joke contains a subtle truth about human nature? Did you catch it? I was always taught it takes how many to fight? Yeah, two. Did you see that? She takes no responsibility for the fighting at all. All the blame is put on him. She says, he fought with me again. Isn't that just like human nature? Others fight with us. We don't fight with them. When fights occur, it is the other person who is fighting. It is not me. Now we have to say here that it is true that there are some people who so much love to fight that it is impossible to get along with them no matter what you do. There are controlling, egotistical, explosive types who are impossible to live with. But there is a truth that sometimes we do not want to face. And that truth is, the cause of fighting may sometimes equally be where? In me. In me. And the Bible says to us, that we must take a good, long look at ourselves. Now, the Apostle James is going to hold up the mirror again to each one of us, as he has been doing throughout this series. And as we open chapter 4, he is going to begin by talking to us about why it is that we fight. We're going to see the causes for fighting and quarreling. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday, we will see the cure for fighting and quarreling. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to James chapter 4. And I want you to follow along as I read verses 1 to 6. And let's look into this mirror and let's see our own hearts today. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's pray for a moment. Oh, Father, we thank you that the Bible speaks to us with such plainness and such reality. And Lord, uh, we we thank you that it shows us exactly who we are and, and what our needs are and how we are to humble ourselves before you. And it's only in that way that your grace can come and deliver us from the very things that make us difficult people to live with. And so we pray today that as we find the insight that we need for our spiritual walk in this world, that Your Spirit who is present with us, who jealously yearns for us, would not only open our minds so that we can understand, but soften our hearts so that we can respond And grant us wills that we might obey, that we might be changed and different people. For that is why you have called us to know Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I want you to notice how James opens up here. He, He gives us a surprising answer to this question, why do we fight? An answer that we may not have anticipated him to give to us. And that is, we war with others because we are at war in ourselves. As he begins with, why are there quarrels and fightings among you? Did you notice his answer is, it is your passions that are at war within you. So what James is describing here is a war that is going on in the human heart. He is describing fallen human sinful nature with its self-seeking focus that attempts to dominate our personality. And it is this lust for self-fulfillment that he describes here as soldiers that are carrying out a military battle. Uh, I love the way the New Living Translation uh, translates this expression. Is it not this, your passions that are at war within you? The New Living Translation says, isn't it the whole army of evil desires at war within you? So that rather than submitting to God, the flesh within breaks out in its attempt to take over and to dominate our personality and our behavior. Now, do you know this is nothing less than what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation? That we all have a fallen human nature that uh, seeks to control the way that we live and the things that we do, and it is this battle within that is the key to our behavior. 
Uh, let's turn back for just a moment to Genesis chapter 4. Here we have the very first murder that has ever occurred in the Bible. And you recall what the Lord said to Cain. Look at verse 6 of Genesis 4. And notice this. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, notice, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule rule over it. That was the problem with Cain. Sin, in the form of his fallen human nature, was crouching at his door, seeking to rule him. God said you need to rule it. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 and and notice this very same truth taught in the New Testament. Wherever we go, this is human nature. Look at Galatians 5 and notice with me verse 17. Notice what the Lord says. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit, they oppose the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. And notice the result. They keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So wherever we go in the Bible, this truth that James is teaching us is revealed. It is these evil desires demanding gratification that lead us into conflict with others. Now James is such a great teacher that what he does here in these opening verses of chapter 4 is he shows to us the stages of war. This is the stages that every conflict follows. Let's look at them for a moment. First of all, self-satisfaction is desired. He says, it is your passions that are at war within you. That's a very interesting word. It is the Greek word hedonon. And we get our word hedonism or hedonist from this word. You know that a hedonist is somebody who lives with pleasure as the chief goal in life. It is that consuming desire to satisfy the self with whatever pleases the flesh or strokes the ego, those are the passions that are at war within us. It's interesting, in uh, uh, some uh, Bibles, there is a section of the Old Testament called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha are books that are not inspired by the Lord. In some cases, they are books of history. In other cases, they are books that just have some wisdom. And it's interesting, in 4th Maccabees, there is an expression that defines uh, what they understood this word hedonon to mean. Let me just read it for you. This is 4th Maccabees 1, 25 and 26, a non-inspired book, but it has some wisdom here about what hedonism is. Listen to this. Included under pleasure also is the malicious moral temper 
which expresses itself in the most widely varied ways of all the passions. Now listen to this. In the soul, it is pretentiousness, covetousness, seeking the limelight, contentiousness, and malice. All of that is wrapped up in these words, these, this word for passions. We know what it is. It is the lust for popularity, for power, for authority, the lust for personal self-gratification. What James is saying to us is in our heart of hearts, all of us are hedonists, and every quarrel, every argument starts right here. Now, notice the second stage in this war. Secondly, self-satisfaction is denied. He says in verse 2, you desire, but you don't have. So our passions are not fulfilled. He says you covet, and you cannot obtain. So we are jealous, but we don't get what we want. We just need to stop here for a moment and say, why is our desire denied? Well, isn't it that others are denying that desire? Isn't it that others are standing in our way and they are preventing us from having it? Or, perhaps, they are getting it instead of us. By the way, doesn't that really aggravate us? When somebody else gets it instead of us. And so it is clear here that we are frustrated in our attempts to get what we want by somebody else. I I remember on one occasion, um, uh, my family and I, we were driving in the van. And I was singing in the van, and my wife, Ellen, asked me to stop singing. And I thought to myself, she thinks my singing is irritating. And immediately I got angry because I was being told no. I thought to myself, aren't I the head of my home? What's this country coming to when a man can't sing in his own van? I don't even need to begin to tell you what the next stage is in this war. Self-satisfaction is demanded. He says in verse 2, when we don't get the satisfaction we want, we murder. We quarrel and fight. Now, we all know this can be literal murder, don't we? That's what happened with Cain. Sin was crouching at the door. The Lord said, you must master it or it will master you. Cain did not master it and he murdered his brother. But, this can also be figurative. Hatred, 
resentment, cutting others down in word or action, intimidating with anger or arguing. Pastor John MacArthur puts it so well here. Listen to how he describes it. When any strong sinful lust is not gratified, the worldly person is prone to lash out in angry frustration. When people harbor such fierce desires but cannot obtain what they covet, they fight and quarrel. Marital conflicts, family conflicts, job conflicts, might we add... Church conflicts? All these are the result of unsatisfied personal lust and envying. You know what I did in the van that day? I reacted with an unthinking comment that ended up being an insult to my wife. And the next thing I knew, rather than singing in the van, I was participating in an ugly argument. Every conflict, every argument, always follows these stages of war. There was a well-known English writer by the name of Samuel Johnson. He was a writer and a lexicographer. He specialized in the English language. And I want you to notice what he one time perceptively said. Of all that have tried the selfish experiment, let one come forth and say he has succeeded. He that has made gold his idol, has it satisfied him? He that has toiled in the fields of ambition, has he been repaid? He that has ransacked every theater of sensual enjoyment, is he content? Can any answer in the affirmative? What's the answer? Not one. Not one. He that got in his insult and defended his singing in the van? Was he happy? No, he was not. You see, we war with others, says James, because we're at war in ourselves. Anybody seeing why he says we need more grace? Anybody seeing why he goes there? Let's look at the second reason this morning why we war with others. Number two, James says we war with others because we are in love with the world. We are in love with the world. Now, when I was a boy growing up, I used to think that worldliness was in things. And I thought that if you stayed away from certain things, you wouldn't be worldly. 
But then as I came of age and became a man, I began to understand that worldliness is not in things, worldliness is in people. And a worldly person has adopted the world's illicit values and the aggressive, what can I get behavior needed to secure them. And here in this passage, James gives to us what true worldliness really is all about. And he says the reason that we war with each other is because we are in love with the world. Look again with me at verses 3 through 5, and let me read them for you. Look at the end of verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you wish to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And the Scripture says to us, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell within us. What is worldliness? Well, let's look at it. First of all, I want you to notice that worldly people ignore God. James says here, you do not have because you do not ask. I don't have to tell you that the person being described in these verses is used to taking matters into their own hands. By the way, why in the world would you pray if your own wisdom, your own ingenuity, your own know-how, and your own, I can do this myself, will work? Why in the world would anybody who feels that way about themselves take time to pray? See, prayer is a humbling experience that essentially falls before the Lord and says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But worldly people want their will done because they think that's what is best. Do you know what this is saying to us? We can be Christians... We can be sitting in church every single Sunday... And yet we can be worldly if we regularly ignore God and go it on our own and fail to treat people in the way that God says we ought to treat them. Let me just remind us of that again. We can be Christians. We can be sitting in church every Sunday. And yet we can be worldly if we ignore God if we go it alone, and if we fail to treat people the way that God says we ought to treat them. Let me tell you two stories. Uh, I will save one for a little bit later. But let me tell you two stories uh, about encounters that my old professor, Howard Hendricks, had that illustrate this. He said one day an elder of a local church came to him And this elder was having problems, having trouble in his marriage at home. And Dr. Hendricks said to this elder, 
Do you pray with your wife? What do you suppose the answer was? The elder said, no, I don't. Dr. Hendricks went on to say this. The rate of marital breakdown in America is one in four in first-time marriages, and it is one in two in all marriages. And then he said, do you know what the rate of marital breakdown is for couples that pray together? One in 1,500. Whenever I'm counseling newlyweds who are getting ready to be married, almost always I get around to what Billy Graham one time said. He said, couples can reduce the chances of marital breakdown by 400% if they will do three things. Number one, Attend church together. Number two, pray together. And number three, read the Bible together. You do those three things on a consistent basis, and you will reduce the chances of marital breakdown 400%. Do you know what we may have to face? Maybe the reason there is so much tension in our relationships is we are worldly. We ignore God. And we expect somehow by ignoring God, we can have His power in our life. And James is saying that is not going to work. Secondly, worldly people use God. Worldly people use God. James says here, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. If worldly people ever do get around to praying, it is usually for themselves. Did you notice that these verses here are just dripping with selfishness? In these uh, first six verses of chapter 4, the word you or your appears 13 times. In verses 3 and 4 alone, in some translations, you or your appears seven times. And when James says, you ask and do not receive, in the original language, the word ask here is in the middle voice. It's a reflexive idea. You ask for yourself. And the word spend means to squander, and the word passions, now found a second time, is our word hedonism again. So look what's going on here. The worldly person is asking God to provide for hedonistic squandering. Let me ask you, how much do you think that's going to work? To come to God... And ask for hedonistic squandering. See, we all know that prayer is not designed to get my will done in heaven. 
It's designed to get God's will done on earth. And we cannot ignore God and then expect Him to come running to the rescue when we want something. That's not the purpose of prayer. You see, what that is doing is attempting to use God. It's attempting to manipulate God. Many years ago, I knew a a woman who was engaged in a child custody dispute. And she came to me and she said, Would you pray for me that I will win this dispute and I will get my children? Now, I didn't say this because she wasn't asking my advice. But I have to tell you, I have to be honest and tell you what I thought. I thought, why should I pray for you to get the kids so you can raise them to ignore God just like you do? See, what she wanted to do was to manipulate God. She didn't want an answer to her prayer so that she could do God's will with her kids. She wanted her way so that she could do her will. She was using God. Now notice what this leads to. This is an amazing statement here because this tells us that worldly people grieve God. Worldly people grieve God. Look at what he says. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? If you want to be a friend of the world, you're making yourself an enemy of God. And then notice this statement. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, God jealously yearns over the Spirit He has made to dwell within us? You know what this is telling us? Our relationship with the Lord is like the relationship of a husband and wife. And all throughout the Bible, this concept is taught that the people of God are like a wife and God is like the husband. We see that in the New Testament where the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are the bride of Christ. Uh, Look with me, and in fact, let's read together a few scriptures that that teach us this uh, in the Old Testament. Read with me Exodus 34, 14. Would you join me? For you shall not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And then look with me at what Zechariah 8.2 says. This is taught all throughout the Bible. Read with me. Thus said the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy. And I was jealous for her with great fury. We all know there is an evil jealousy that is suspicious of our spouse. But there is also a godly jealousy. 
A husband has a godly jealousy for his wife's affection and vice versa, and God has a godly jealousy for our affection. And just as a spouse who gives their love to another creates deep, deep hurt and pain, so God is deeply grieved when He is ignored and used for worldly pleasures, desires, and living. What an amazing thing this is, that God is grieved by us. By the way, do you know two things that happen when uh, we grieve God in this way? Number one, we lose our joy. When David sinned against God and and wasn't dealing with it for a year, he said finally when he confessed his sin, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. David was miserable because for a whole year he was grieving the God whom he had broken fellowship with. By the way, do you know who the most miserable person is? It's not always the unbeliever in sin. The most miserable person is often the Christian who is living in sin. That's the most miserable person. Because they're grieving God. A second thing that happens is the Bible says God will not answer our prayers. In fact, I want you to notice this expression in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Here the people of God were wondering, why has God abandoned us? Why is He not answering our prayers? Why is He not working on our behalf? And notice what Isaiah says. This is so perceptive. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor His ear heavy that it cannot hear. It's, the problem is not with God. But notice verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He will not hear. It is a God who is grieved, and therefore cannot respond to worldly prayers. As I've thought about this, I've wondered, how could we summarize what James is saying here into a simple sentence? And I think we could summarize it in a, in a very simple way. And let me place it before you here this morning. And then I want to tell you the second story from my old professor, Howard Hendricks. Here, I think, is what James is teaching us. Worldly Christians are frustrated Christians who become fighting Christians and wounding Christians. They don't enjoy the Lord enough to be all in with Him. They can enjoy the world enough to be all in with it. Like the double-minded, they are torn between two worlds, never really satisfied 
in either one. And James is saying to us, that is the cause of all quarreling and all fighting. Let me tell you this second story from my old professor. He said one day he was sitting on an airplane that was delayed. And while he sat on that airplane, the longer that it got delayed, the more irritated and angry the passengers became. And he noticed that there was one stewardess who um, just was extremely gracious and extremely self-controlled in response to these passengers who were getting more and more irritated by the delay. Finally, the airplane took off, and as they were in the air, he said to the stewardess, he said, you know, I I was amazed at your self-control and your poise as you were getting all this irritating behavior thrown to you. He said, could you tell me the name of the airline that you work for most of the time? I want to write a letter of commendation on your behalf. You know what that stewardess said? She said, I don't work for an airline. She said, I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, this morning before I left for work, my husband and I prayed that I would be a good representative of Christ. And that says it all. That says it all. When we walk with Jesus and are under His control, we are not fighting with ourselves. When we're not fighting with ourselves, we're not fighting with everyone else as well. And that's why It is the grace of God in a life under the control of Jesus Christ that is the answer to all fighting and quarreling. Let's bow together and let's ask the Lord to help us be that kind of person. Father, this is a strong word for us today. And I know in my own life I've had too many experiences like in the van that day. Father, we've all had too many experiences like that in our marriages in our families, where we work, and even, Lord, here in our church. 
And we can see what James has been trying to say to us. That our tongue, which is tied to our fallen human nature, is completely uncontrollable. And unless we find the meekness of wisdom reflected in the Lord Jesus Christ, who said of Himself, I am meek and lowly, if you come to Me, you will find rest for your souls. Unless we find that, we will continue at war within ourselves, and we will war with everyone around us. And so we thank you that you do give more grace. But we accept the warning. God opposes the proud. No matter how religious they may be. No matter how many Bible verses they can quote. No matter how long they have been church members. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may lift you up, not in your time or in your way, but in His time and in His way. Lord Jesus, Speak to all of our hearts. Bring the self-control from hedonism and the lust for self-gratification that only you can bring. Bring peace to our marriages and our families and to our church. And may we be those who sow a harvest of righteousness in peace. Because we are those who make peace. Love you and thank you today for it. For Jesus' sake.